Hello, thank you for being here. Welcome. This is a conversation with Eric Godsey. It's about love and truth and waking up into our faith. Important topics, I think. I think, of course, they're important fucking topics. And um, I think there's some real generative parts of this dialogue. And so, yeah, I'm excited to share it with you. Eric's someone that I've wanted to have on the channel for a long time. He really is one of the top people that I have wanted to engage in this kind of dialogue with. It's partly because we share a similar affinity for Jungian thinking. It's also because of the general sense of I get of how he shows up to the world and shows up to conversation. And, and I respect it a lot. He also has a degree in cognitive psychology and is, of course, interested in philosophy and psychology more broadly. So we share, you know, an affinity for that as well. Yeah, I invite you to take the time with this. I think there's some meaningful metaphors here. I think we advance, you know, our own intrigue and understanding about these topics, or at least it felt that there was that um, positive movement of, of understanding in this dialogue. And so I hope that that is uh, something that you get a lot of value from. And yeah, all right then. Here we go. All right, that's the click so I can line that shit up. Eric Godsey, thank you for joining me. It's nice to bloody meet you. Uh, again, this is the thank second time. Thank you for time. having me on. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Well, man, I feel like this is a bit of a, this is a bit of an interesting moment because I've been aware of you and what you've been putting out there into the world for probably God, I don't know. At least at least three years that seems to come into my mind. Since pretty close from the beginning, since you started the individuationing podcast. And I think that was just because we share a how lot of How did you find that, by the way? Back Man, in the day, how how'd you find it? I have no idea. Hmm. I have no idea. You know, it was one of many things that I probably was listening to. And um, you know, uh God, it could be I think there's something that Who knows? Might have been Googling some Jungian thing, maybe. Yeah, I think that's probably what it was. I probably typed in individuation <laughs> or something like that. You're one of the only six people who do that. Yeah, right. Well, that's a pretty interesting thing to have in common to begin with. So before I say too much, can you introduce yourself and a little bit about what you're about to me, really, and also, and also our listeners? For sure. Um, <clears throat> so I'm in love with psychology. My favorite angle to look at psychology from is Jungian psychology. I got a degree um, in cognitive psychology, a bachelor's of science. I thought about getting a PhD in clinical psychology, but I thought for about two to three years after I graduated, how could I help the greatest number of people? And it came down to, do I get a PhD and sit in an office and help maybe 20 to 25 people a year? Or do I learn how to run a company and then use the engine of a company to put out products that I think will genuinely help people's psychologies? And I eventually picked the second one. And then it was about learning how to fucking do that. And that's basically mm -hmm. been what I've been trying to do the last four or five years. And right now I work at Onnit. Um, I work for Aubrey Marcus on like his personal team. Uh, and I'm just reading and writing and learning and trying to figure out how the fuck to be a person. The thing mm -hmm. that I'm most interested in is essentially the stories that we tell ourselves and what is the most adaptive story that a human can tell themselves. That's kind of my big question that I'm asking myself. 
Right. So what is the most adaptive story we can tell ourselves? And do we tell ourselves it or do we sort of, we sort of live it out and realize it after the fact? Yeah, my truth is I don't know what the most adaptive story is. That's something that I'm going to attempt to seek my entire life. Um, I do think that most of us uh, live the beginning of our lives unconsciously expressing a story that we put together as children. And there's this moment that can happen in maybe your late teens or 20s or 30s where there's this first moment of, oh, I've been a zombie living mm. out programs. And then it's from that point where you can begin to look at like, what are my stories, which are essentially what are my programs? What are my unconscious beliefs about relationships and myself and the world and money and achievement and all that shit? And do I want to continue to live out the stories that I put together as a seven-year-old or a four-year-old, or do I want to make new stories? And then it's right. about what's the most effective way to make new stories. Right. Do we ever climb out of the story making? For sure. Um, I think flow states are one of the ways that we escape our stories. I think um, that bliss moment between a lover's eyes where you guys are making love, like that's an escape from the story. Um, doing any type of good work. Truly, I think it's flow states and practicing awareness slash meditation. Those are the ways that we can temporarily step out of the story. So it's that place between stimulus and response, to put it a slightly different way. It's that revolution of attachment and detachment. It's presence. The, the, thing, the thing that's interesting to me about that, though, is that so in the moment of experiencing that the lover's eyes let's say making love there is just that and you are flowing with it and there isn't the grasping to make sense of what you're doing from that maybe egoic or story-like or but it's not fair to just obviously i'm lump the ego and stories together because of course these stories play out unconsciously and they have a you know their wellspring is one from a Jungian perspective you would understand as being nested in in the in the unconscious so so it's in the moment of it we are we are we escape the requirement from attending to what the outcome necessarily is or, or what the what the story is but but it seems to me that there's still it's almost like there's just a could, could we not see that as just living out a character just expressing a character expressing a role purely for that duration and then after the fact we say well actually i was now i can wake up again and i've seen that i was actually engaging in, in another sort of pattern in, in another sort of story with someone and the analysis might come later on so in that Absolutely. sense so so the analysis would arise only after the flow state is over mm -hmm. and then we can post hoc story lies what it is that happened, but in the moment there was not a story. But I would agree with you that fundamentally it seems to be that uh, we are acting out a character and that that character is <clears throat> to a very large degree um, beyond our ability to change. But I do think that we have a little bit of an ability to change it. And that little bit of an ability to change it is more than enough to give people meaning to help people transform their lives and to make the world a truly better place. Um, 
but it's going to be hard, yeah. but it's going to be fun. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. I think I've heard you mention once, and it's an idea that resonates with me also, this notion of waking up into our fate. And so you've just mentioned there this idea of we can change ourselves a little bit. To what degree do you understand that as essentially an, an evolving into who you are and playing a sort of an active role in becoming, unfolding that nature that you might metaphorically consider as the seed which For develops? Sure. Yeah. Um, one of the most powerful ideas that recurs to me is that um, I am simply burning away my bullshit so I can wake up to my fate, which is right. like, when right. I really think about what that means, it fucking uh, chills me. But the way that I kind of see it is you come into the world with a specific energy signature and it's a coagulation of the set of genes you got from both of your parents, the environment in which your mom was creating you inside of her womb and anything that she ate or did or felt like affected like the primordial stuff that made you. And then like the moment you're born, it's like, I do think just like the oak seed is destined to be a tree, you are destined to be some specific thing. But just like a tree, just like a seed can be planted in rotten soil and there's all this bullshit around you, we aggregate years and years of bullshit on top of whatever our being is or whatever our destiny is, or whatever our core essence is. And then I think, you know, your adulthood is basically show up and do the fucking work of burning away the parts of you that aren't real. And, um, you know, I think there's a quote by Confucius and it's, you have two lives and your second life starts when you realize you only have one. Right. And it's this idea that, your first life is the life that you don't even realize you have. You're just unconscious. And then I think we all have this moment and it, it tends to happen around the early twenties, maybe early thirties where you're like, Whoa, Whoa. I'm, this is the first moment I've ever been self-reflective and I see what I'm doing and I want to change it. And I want to be like, we all have this idea of the person that we know we could be all of us. And we know the things that we're doing that aren't in alignment with that per with that potential. And I think the way that I see it is you are in a river and it is taking you somewhere. You can learn to swim or you can be floundering and drowning and smacking people who are around you and trying to dig your nails into the side of the river. And I think that aligning with, you know, who you are is to learn to swim or to really to float, you know, like I think that that's the grace moment is when you really just, ah, this is what I am. This is how I am in this moment. You know, it's akin to dancing. Yes. Yes. I think that river metaphor is, is a beautiful one. What comes to mind is what kinds of floating are there then? Uh, we might have, it seems to me, our capacity to discern, to pay attention, to orient more gracefully around obstacles or dancing along with others floating similarly, something we can develop. And perhaps there are, I, I wonder if there's some sort of um, 
if, if there's maybe too broad and that, that that might be a bit too bit too basic but if there's in some of the psychedelic experiences i've had some particularly powerful ones a number of years ago now maybe five or six years ago that sparked a lot of research a lot of time reflecting to try and make sense of what occurred it was a particularly powerful um about five and a half gram of dried psilocybin they'll do it right yeah um along with there and there was a bit of a progression up to that point but i found the jump from like three and a half grams to five grams very considerable and i had done that quite a few like quite a lot and it was as though in the climax of it my experience my capacity for coherence was reduced to two modes of orientation one which we could one that i use the word confrontation to describe and the other surrender and what's interesting is that often people use the word surrender to signify this going with the flow right but it seemed to me also that there might be a positive and negative way to manifest each of these modes of orientation because we consider sure. times where someone is manipulating someone else and perhaps surrendering to that flow is maybe not what's best for anyone involved right so how then do you hold your back so, so so the other way is to hold your boundaries right so maybe this maybe this confrontation is oh actually like this log that's coming at me or this the, these leaves that there you go there's some leaves in the in the stream i don't need to orient around them that's no log there's some leaves i'll just take them i'll take those take the feeling of that does that is that something that resonates with you to to begin with two broad modes of orientation in response to what is effectively the appearance of radical anomaly and novelty as we ingress so here's how i orient myself because i admit that I am an enigma to myself, which is a quote from Jung. How I get to know myself is I do my best to admit to myself what my truth is in this moment, like what feels like my truth. So the two big things are cultivate awareness. And there's all sorts of practices that I can do to do that. And then to cultivate the courage to speak and act my truth to myself and to others and if I do that, I will find where my boundaries are. I will find how to respond to a leave or to a log. Because the truth is that each of us, our consciousness is resting inside of this magical, amazing, incomprehensible thing that you could get to know if you wanted to. And... I think the way you get to know what this thing is, which is your, your nervous system, I think is the pinnacle of creation in the known universe you know, that we know of right now. It's a nervous system. And you get to learn yours. And I think the way you find optimal grace in this life is to figure out what your truth is. Mm -hmm. And truth might be the wrong word, but I think it 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 makes sense to most people when i ask you what's your truth right now yo i'm more than happy to use truth to refer to that i mean we could i was just writing yesterday about all the different ways we can use truth language is one of those things it's it's like i'm not really so fussed about quibbling with people 
to be honest with you. I mean, sometimes there's a time for quibbling, right? If you're sitting down to have an analytic philosophical discussion, it's like, no, fuck you. That's not how we're going to be using this word. But, but really, number of people I speak to coming from all these different epistemic backgrounds, many people autodidacts, others trained in certain schools of thinking. There's just so many. It's like, there's a way of relating to someone. The dialogical process is one where it's like a translation of, of the of the meaning, of, of the feeling ultimately of what someone's trying to communicate, especially when it comes to what we're talking about here, which is something about what it is like to show up meaningfully to the world and to be in some relationship with yourself and the world. Uh, the truth is, I mean, an, an authentic expression and a realization of what is of what is resonant, real, these kind of words are what I get from how you're using the word truth there. Correct. Yeah. But there's something again that comes to mind, which is I'm interested to hear how, how you articulate the decision of whether or not to speak or let the energy, let the images continue to coalesce. Right, because there's lots of different truths. I've got stuff popping up all the time, right? But 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 ha but it, keeping keeping. You know, it's a, I think when we spoke on the phone, you mentioned a sort of a cultivation of of competence, right? Something I've been trying to do is like develop over the the last number of years. Is it's not necessarily to jump on exact on on it. You don't jump on every tangent that comes along. Sometimes it's. You check in again. So what comes up for you there in terms of when when do you express that truth versus when do you let it coalesce into something a little bit more cultivated? That's a great question. And the way that I think about it is, um, do I understand this well enough to express it in love? If I don't feel like I can express it in love, I'm not done understanding it. And um, so that's to myself and to other people. And the other part of that question is it's kind of this intuitive thing that to start by speaking your truth and you will probably be clumsy and mm -hmm. people around you are probably going to not respond to it very well, but mm -hmm. you've got to start because the alternative is you're just lying. Like, dude, in my early twenties really it was like 19 and 20 and 21 I was not in truth with anyone who was around me. And so everyone around me that I called a friend were really just people who drank with me. And there was no like authentic, like we could get drunk and laugh and say that we loved each other, but I knew I wasn't connecting to them because I wasn't in truth with myself. And now like all of my relationships are so much deeper and it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing when you cultivate that type of connection with any of your friends. Like I've been going through kind of an emotional time this last week and I can cry in front of all of my friends and there's no, like, it's just, I can see that my crying gives them permission to cry in the future. I feel cathartic because I'm not hiding something that feels true. And I love them because I see how they respond when they see me in that state. And seven years ago, I would have pretended that I wasn't sad. And I just think that so many of us are not being ourselves because we think that it's wrong. 
or we think that people won't accept us. And like what I find time and time and time and time and time again is anyone who is willing to show up in life, who isn't hiding from themselves, they respond so well to when, when someone speaks their truth. And the thing that I want to point out is all of us have this ability to detect in another person. They just said something that was hard for them to admit. Like we all have this radar thing and uh, it's so counterintuitive, but people are afraid to admit the things that they're afraid to admit. But like people love you and admire you when you do it. Um, The people who mock it are the people who are terrified to do it for themselves. And those are the people who will mock you. And it's just like, oh, this is someone who's afraid. Yes. Yes, that's beautiful. Well, I'm really glad to hear that that's an experience you have in your life. Thank you. Yeah. Here's something else I've been battling with. And it relates slightly. And I, 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 I hear you, by the way. I, I, I really hear you. Let's consider someone, okay, take myself. We don't have to think about anyone else. Let's do that. Let's say I'm a child. Let's say I'm in my teens. I'm in my teens. Let's say I haven't developed many of those relationships yet. I would say actually in my case, in fact, I was developing those relationships from a young age. I think this sort of showing up in truth is something that perhaps because of what occurred in my childhood was made perhaps more necessary for me to develop at a younger age, but that's, I mean, it's a continual process. You know, it's not so much one pill of becoming aware. It's a constant, it's a constant struggle, right? The, the capacity for delusion is, it's consistent. It's continuous. So it really is a continual waking up process. I think that's really important to stress. Right. And, um, but let's say I'm a teenager and I have not developed that many of these relationships. Am I inauthentic or am I in fact merely authentically expressing a less aware state of nature, state of experience? I've been battling with this word authenticity a little bit recently. It's been brought up to me and I've been using it quite a lot. It's like authentic expression this, right? Showing up authentically that. Even in the case of the lie, is this something that is appropriate to say authentic or not? I think authenticity depends on awareness. And if you are 15 and you have never had it modeled for you about how to be courageous and speak your truth and you're not speaking your truth, I wouldn't say that that person is inauthentic. I would say that that person's 15, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, For me, like... I look back on when I was 18 and a bunch of stuff happened where I must have been depressed. I must have been depressed, but I was so unconscious that I don't, it would be a lie to say that I remember feeling depressed, but like I lived alone. I had gotten rotator cuff surgery on my shoulder. I had to stop playing basketball, which was my entire life. And I was taking oxycodone every day and I was eating And I gained like 40 pounds over like Mm -hmm. eight months. And I don't remember being upset. 
at all. Mm -hmm. But it's because I felt like I was so fucking unconscious. And Mm so what I would say is that authenticity comes down to the degree of awareness that the individual has. And nobody can make that claim for anyone other than themselves. Mm -hmm. So you are the supreme arbiter of whether or not you're being authentic. You might feel justified to judge that someone else is not. And you might be right some of the time, but truly, only you can know your degree of authenticity. And I think that that is enough. Yes. Well, I I, I definitely agree with that. It is on every individual to be the the measure of themselves. This is a divine right. I think we can argue quite strongly. It's not a matter for argument, really. But it's interesting, right? Because part of where I'm aiming, and that's not to... I say where we aim, (laughs) we have to have goals, but also not to attach too hard. Right. Amen. So, so with that in mind, part of where I'm aiming is the development of this sort of a character and presence that can hold a certain space for the authentic expression of others, perhaps in a very high pressure situation, perhaps where it matters. And I think it always matters actually, but I suppose maybe some, sometimes you feel the moments upon you more than others. And in such situations, it's difficult to imagine not finding yourself in the place of the judge, right? Like if someone's trying to manipulate you, for instance, let's say, it's like, oh, hang on, because you mentioned before, it's like you feel when someone's showing up in a way that's difficult for them, but true. And so it sort of follows from that, that there's a sense we get when someone's holding something back and that 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 maybe is obvious you know someone <laughs> so you're talking to a friend or or a loving partner and what have you and they begin a sentence halfway and they, they trail off because they get nervous and it's like oh no I'm I want to know what's at the end of that sentence that feels like something that we should be talking about and that's you know an, an obvious example but but when when something's a little bit more subtle call like it's it this can get some when do you See, I'm not so interested in calling someone out, but we do we do this social fucking thing. <laughs> it's like, no, that was a misstep in the dance. Like, uh, we, are st- st- we still love you. The dance continues, but it's like, I wonder, can you, can you comment on that? It's like, it's that, like, it's this, because it is on you to determine, to be the measure of your own authenticity. But nevertheless, we still have to, we have to fix things in the world where we put down boundaries that have an effect on others. And there has to be a way to, I mean, you do that from your truth, let's say. And uh, if you're not doing it from that, then it's a problem. I feel like I feel what you're asking. So the first thing that I would say is you have a very specific thing that you're talking about that you're asking in a vague way, but I will answer the vague way. Maybe off there we can talk about the specific. Yeah. yeah. the greatest power that we have linguistically in the world is to ask a good question. Mm -hmm. And so if you feel anything weird in the other person, become and train yourself to be a master at asking a genuine question. And it could be like, Hey, I 
I feel this weird energy in my chest when I hear that you trail off at the end of that sentence. Could you tell me what was there? And like the way you ask the question can completely shift the energy of the entire thing. And like the way you ask the question is energetically telling them, should they lie and hide or can they be comfortable sharing whatever the uncomfortable thing is? Yes, that's the answer. Yeah, beautiful. What have been some of the hardest lessons you've learned along the way to get to the point where you feel competent to answer such a question? No, I don't know. I think it really comes down to um, in college, just the way it worked out is I would come home from school, my friends would be in the garage smoking weed, I would come in, I'd start smoking, and they just start asking me questions about what I learned that day, and I would just start to tell them what I learned. And then it just, it, it just grew into a thing where my friends asked me questions. And now with social media, I just let people ask me questions. And because my guiding ethos is, to the best of my ability, speak and act my truth and love, like, ask me anything. And I, I, I will check in and I will feel what feels like my limit of what the thing is. And I'll just fucking say it. And I'll, I'll just do it over and over and over and over. And um, I think what lets me feel qualified to answer is that I think anyone is qualified to answer when it's regarding what their opinion is. And mm -hmm. so that's just how I see it. Mm -hmm. I think anyone can talk. Yes. Well, I agree with that. It's not so much a matter of, of qualification, but I think you, I feel that, that that was very much an answer to my question. It's interesting because I'm not exactly, I'm, I am looking for answers to questions, I suppose. But really when I approach these conversations and conversations in general, it's perhaps a little bit different over video. There's a, there's a bit of a time lag and I can't, you know, I can't see the rest of your body and it's a little, there's something more restrained about how we're doing this thing and, and that's fine. And there's this sort of incumbent, like it falls back to me to move the conversation on in ways where it's like often when you're spending time with someone, it's just good to, it's nice just to stay silent for a bit. This is perhaps a limitation of podcasts. For sure. <laughs> which is which interesting. Which not make for a good podcast, yeah. Yeah, which is, which is interesting, isn't it? And I, I think that's something I might, experiment with a little bit in person it's a little bit easier um to hold those moments of silence because the energy can be held a little bit more whereas if i was to just go silent right now and stay still you'd be like is he freezing is he what like the quickness of the voice coming back in would be there but i might like to experiment with that someday how how do you find how do you find podcasting in that in that regard is is there or, or or just filming yourself in general there can be a real and for me i'm getting a bit better at it but there is that flick it's like it's not just you and me we are here right now like i'm genuine i am here with you i'm here with your your pixelated face but but there's a bunch of other people here too in some sense and so whatever persona i've developed to hold both the other people and you is what i'm here with also and I wonder what the effect of that is when it comes to modeling interaction and communication in general. 
um, there's a certain privacy that is that is not so simple to bring to bear, even when you're pushing yourself for it. What so a question out of this might be something like, "Hmm, that is quite personal. You don't have to answer it." Where are you when you are most private with yourself? Hmm. Probably when I'm looking in my eye in the mirror and maybe when I'm um, envisioning something when I'm laying in bed at night, that's probably my most private moments. Like, I really feel like there's a God inside of me that is a reflection of whatever the total spirit is. Mm -hmm. That is um, my potential, like, that is at the edge of time. And I feel it's inside of me. And um, when I need help, when I feel lost or when I mm -hmm. um, just want to give thanks, I'll mm -hmm. fucking talk to that thing. And I feel like those moments is when I'm most um, private. A sort of communion with a higher self. Exactly. Yeah. I've heard you mention, thank you for sharing that. I've, yeah. I've heard you mention, I, and I, as well, I should say, I'm, I wouldn't ask you anything I'm not willing to um, speak on myself. Yeah, I, I would love to hear your answer for sure. I think it's something very similar. Uh, I, I, th I think it, it's any mode of expression where where you are in touch with your nature. There's a, a, a nakedness to the, it's like a nakedness, but a fullness. I had an experience the other day and I actually don't know. This is something for me that to express this is like, oh, maybe, maybe I shouldn't. And so- Those I'm, are the best ones. Yeah, well, I'm gonna pad it a little bit. I'm gonna pad it a little bit, but I'm, because it's like, I mean, it relates to this notion of, of contemplating or being with a uh, higher self. And in fact, this particular experience was, and I've done me different meditative practices before where it's like, imagine yourself in five years time. It's like an older brother, you're holding yourself. You've, you, can take, you can take yourself on the shoulder and give you that little bit of a smile and that sort of knowing look of you've got this, all right? Yeah, I know it's tough. I know it's difficult. I know you're confused, but you have it. You have that, you have that fire in you. You will, you got it, mate. It's all good. And then it's like, all right, how about an image of, of that five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, five years ago, 10 years ago, and all its different manifestations of what you could be. And then what image coalesces all of those together, a sort of, an image of the the confluence of these that somehow it's it's a it's a self that transcends all of them across all possible manifestations it is the potential form and uh, you know maybe i won't say just yet exactly how that image appears to me but that image is there and it reminds me of of what you what you mentioned here there's some there's a there's a capacity to check in and it is a sort of loving truth. 
it is a sort of that. It's a sort of affirmation of the potential and possibility and wonder of life as much as it is a an inclusion and 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 acceptance of the suffering and the difficulty but an affirmation nevertheless and there's something to tap into can be with it it's like how do you re what is the mechanism by which you reattend when you're dropped into the ocean i would say it's these moments of stepping into novelty it's that creative space of stepping over the boundary perhaps there perhaps there you perhaps there it's it's a, it's a it's a moment of reckoning perhaps these are perhaps this is the most private moment for me well i mean it's something i wasn't willing to precisely share as much as i could and i i would with you just individually so but but this but this brings something up else to me as well. And I think perhaps you can help me with this. It's like, and I've mentioned it a few times on the podcast before in, in different ways. So when we are speaking our truth, okay, there's a container that forms between us and I can trust you to hold that. But when the container, and then maybe the container is never totally set. Maybe I don't ever totally know. And there is that faith in it and trusting it being held. When you are speaking to many others, when you are in a place where you're not so sure, there's a sense in which there is more at stake, right? There's an expression, don't cast pearls before swine, right? There's a sort, sort of, uh, you know, if, 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 what you, if what you put out there is not held, maybe it's being eaten a little bit. Maybe your energy is being taken somehow. And for sure. I wonder what comes up for you there. Yeah, um, a distinction between um, because it is my truth does not mean it must be shared. And my truth could be right now, I feel that if I gave, you know, this audience advice, it would not be accepted. And so I'm going to choose not to share it. That would be my truth in that moment. So mm -hmm. simply because it is thought does not mean that it must be expressed. And for example, like if someone tells me a secret, but, but somebody else asks me, did X do Y? My truth is, um, I'm, I would feel wrong being a part of this conversation between you two. I think you should go talk to them, you know, mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. so truth does not mean it must be divulged. And that's why I think there's endless nuance inside of us as we cultivate more awareness and you mm -hmm. can start to feel the shades and the different hues around your feelings. And the truth might be something like, I don't feel that I am yet able to articulate this in truth. And so I'm going to think about it for a couple of days and I will get back to you. You know, like all of those are examples of how you can speak your truth in the moment. It doesn't mean that you have to um, give birth to a child that's not ready. Yeah. Beautiful. So that is, and God, I feel that is a, that is a constant lesson, a constant practice to learn. And it's one that in some sense as well, it's like, God, you do all the preparation you want, but it's like eventually you're still stepping out there. You're still stepping out into the unknown. And, and this, is the, this is the paradox. You, in some sense, for all the preparation, it's not a knowing in advance necessarily, right? So it's the cultivation of a toolkit. Absolutely, man. Like I spent a lot of my life preparing for life. And now I feel like a lot of my life is living life. And I'm grateful for the tools. 
but you still got to fucking feel the feels and go through the things and the trials and the fire and nothing is going to hone you like the actual experiences. Yeah. yeah. Books are maps. Mm-hmm. Experiences are the forest. Mm-hmm. Period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Beautiful. I find as well that, I mean, it's the, it's the practice of your own expression. So I do read, you know, I've read a bit, <laughs> but, um, but to be honest with you, I find that if I'm not, I feel it, it's, it's the working through, it's the, it's the expression through of the ideas. It's f- cultivating my own interest, actually, that I do, doing most of the learning and the, and the teaching in this way. I mean, I'm not getting facts from other places, but in terms of, in terms of, um, developing the scaffolding your conceptual framework but then also the link between the concept and the feeling this is the really difficult thing about Jung to grasp I think for many people it's like someone can ask me okay what's what's an archetype how do we understand that it's like it's sort of like Plato's forms or something like this but it's not quite that and it's like well one of the challenging things is that it, it and maybe this is why I mean it's a Jungians do psychotherapy right there's a there's the concept, but then there's its manifestation in your actual life, right? There's the living out of that archetype. And in some sense, if you're not in touch with the live reality of it, it can begin to name these different energetic confluences as they are relevant to the narrative and ongoing narrative of your life. How then to begin to really grasp things like the shadow or the anima or, or the self or any number of these more minor archetypes as well. So. That's one of the challenging things. It's the balance, right? It's both the conceptual and the feeling. How do you, how do you, do do you, do you, do you, is it a, is it an aspiration of yours to, um, to, to want to undergo that, that personal work with, with people? Cause I, how, how, what do you mean specifically? I feel, I feel often when being truthful with people about anything important, there has to be a trust there that that's actually what is wanted, that that's, that we're willing to go there together. And if I can just tell a story real quick, I know this is, you know, I'm a bit all over the place, but I'm coalescing something that I, I feel perhaps is, is interesting. It relates to the to what we've been speaking about. I once had an experience and I'll have to leave out some details for privacy. But I once had an experience, I've had a few like this. I was talking to someone who was on some LSD and maybe they had taken a few other substances early in the day also. I'm pretty sure LSD was the main thing and I was sober, but this, you know, is after sort of a number of years of exploration and, and integration on my part. And there's a certain uh, awareness I can take up in relationship to someone on these experiences. I can sort of drop into a bit of the shared resonation. So we were, tra- we were tracking each other very well. We were speaking about DMT. We were speaking about the relationship between the DMT experience, but also what occurs in your life. And again, this link between the inner world and the narrative of how you are acting and how you are 
um, aware of your relation, embedded relationship with others and what have you. And a few other things happened in the conversation. It got to a point where I real like I felt like, oh, this is super interesting to me. It's very, very salient. I was I was creatively like I was moving towards my own frontier. And I stepped out a little bit and I said something and then we were tracking each other and he fainted. He collapsed and he hit the ground um, quite hard and um, put him into the recovery position. He woke up, his friends were there, he was okay. He had never had that happen before. Now there's physiological things going on and I'm not trying to make an argument that this was because what I said necessarily, but we can, if we extract from this, <clears throat> the idea that someone's cup can be overfilled and there can be the expression perhaps of a certain truth that one is not ready for. Like, for example, with a child, when do you express to them certain things about the nature of the world? When do we, it's, a, it's again, the cultivation of what's appropriate. And so that, and so I wonder how, how you feel like your own development, when do you know, like, when do you feel, when do you know it is appropriate or you are ready to engage in a certain kind of like genuinely transformative reaction interaction with people you can think of shamans right like when are you ready to to take on that role and i feel like perhaps a lot of people step into that far 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 too soon so this is something that i for sure probably don't do well um, it's kind of known amongst my family and my friend group, like beware if you call Eric, because I don't do it on purpose, but like, it's like, there's this wolf in me that can smell if there's a high, if, if there's truth being hidden <laughs> and it wants to ask about yeah. those truths. And if I'm not, if I'm not emotionally calm, like if I get anxious or angry, that wolf will force a conversation that probably is not ready to be had. And something that a trained therapist will be taught is you might be able to smell the person's problem the first day. You are not sharing a truth in love if you let them know on the first day that their husband's cheating on them or that their son's gay or whatever it is. Like your, your role is to gently ask questions and slowly help them be able to see it themselves but there's also a part of that that i don't like because a part of that feels manipulative mm -hmm. on my part like who mm -hmm. am i to choose whether or not you're ready for this truth mm -hmm. and so again it feels like it comes down to this gut feeling mm -hmm. and truly the way to do this is to not talk to someone like you're the one in power and for it to be amongst equals and both mm -hmm. parties agree that we're going to be in our truth and if i ask you a question for you to feel comfortable to say, my truth is right now, I feel in my body that I'm not ready to talk about this. And then, and then we can move on from that point. I think the beautiful thing about this sort of stuff is like the real world does not have black and white lines. Like the like human experience between two humans is not a black or white thing. And so a lot of this is feeling. And the way we learn is to do, and we tend to fuck up. And so like you will learn by doing mm -hmm. and you'll just get a better and a better sense of, is this the place to say the truth and love, or is this the place to just be in love, just to hold space mm -hmm. for, 
Mm-hmm. Is this the space just to be quiet and to make eye contact? Is this the space just to hug? You know, is this the space to make the, a joke? Mm-hmm. Um, a thing that I know that I have a hard time doing is I have a hard time joking because I'm so interested in only speaking the truth that it kind of fucks with my ability to make jokes. <laughs> and that's something that I feel like I'm trying to work on and to cultivate. That's pretty funny. Right. <laughs> and I'm just trying to find that balance, especially being in a relationship now where I'm monogamous and I feel deeply committed to one person, like it can be exhausting talking to someone like me every day. And so I'm trying to find more ways to be playful and to like be humorous and just to bring some levity to interactions because imagine having a talk like this every fucking day. Uh, I can't actually. (laughs) I can't. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I hear you, man. That's the, the lightness, the, the relate, the, you know, the, the, the levity and the depth have to go hand in hand or you're out of balance. I find, I should say, I find, I know I am when they are out, out of hand. And, um, yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to switch, to switch between them. I, I enjoy relationships where there can be such stark jumps from one to another without, yeah, with, absolutely. Yeah. Without the degradation of, of either one. Um, and if, you know, in fact, just coming to me there, it might be the case that if those jumps aren't possible, then actually there's something, there's something there maybe inside you, maybe inside them, maybe something unspoken could be a million things, but there's something there that you've triggered yourself somehow and you need to attend to something like a little bit of an insecurity, at least talking from my own perspective of, whoa, wasn't quite ready for that. It's funny. It's funny. It links up with another, you know, a bit of a tangent, but it links up with this idea of the more one cultivates awareness, the more one takes on responsibility and there's got there's a link there between awareness and responsibility right because all of a sudden your container is bigger than to be in a sort of loving truthful relationship with it to be in a a relationship of integrity all of a sudden means that your your nodal network is that much more salient it's more developed and so that responsibility increases and with that responsibility with that awareness there comes an uh, proportional uh, uh, distance to fall which is an interesting one. And maybe you have the techniques to get back up once you fall. Um, but, but, uh, but, I, but I find that responsibility only continues to increase. And I feel, I feel that's something important to bring to the party as well. Look, all right, what time is it? It's 6.55 for you. We probably have another 10, 15, 20 minutes. I'm not usually too good at, too good at this part where it's like, Shit, there's a million things I actually would be interested to talk to you about. Um, I don't know. I want to give you the space to to close up anything you feel like we haven't closed up just from this little bit here. But otherwise, I could uh, ask away, man. Yeah, I could. I could uh, ask you a, a couple different things. I've, I'd say the main way I engage with what you do over the last six, seven months is occasionally when I open Instagram you'll be a post there'll be a post from you on there and you write you write beautifully actually i i would like to say that i appreciate what you're doing i know you've you've probably received that feedback quite a lot but 
but um as you should i feel like you genuinely do offer you express your truth there and i have no doubt whatsoever that that is valuable to many people and i i appreciate it i, I see and i'm like all right well done mate yeah fair play yeah you keep yeah, thank doing you, brother. i like that um and it's interesting right because you're you're given a lot of your personal development and your own story throughout these things and there's a certain vulnerability in this you've also been taking a few psychedelics here and there that have been important parts of your your journey what can i ask you about psychedelics i feel there's just so much stuff to discuss have you has there been something in your psychedelic experience where it's still in that box of oh shit i don't know i don't know about integrating this one that is like <laughs> what's going on there i've maybe bitten into that like one two percent and has there been that, what 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 is that thing for you how what what are you if you were to consider like just taking a, an extra step forward into coalescing some of the more profoundly novel experiences you've had on any of your psychedelic journeys what would come to mind the hardest thing for me to grasp on a psychedelic that i that i just i know that i haven't integrated is there is this feeling that whatever the truth of reality is i will only be capable of of digesting it at the moment i die <laughs> yeah yeah and that there's this feeling that i know <laughs> that i am inside of the illusion that i'm doing my best to be in my truth to the best of my ability because that is the way that i know or feel is the most gracious way to be in the illusion but that the immensity of whatever this thing is i do not possess the power or the ability to comprehend it but i feel like at the moment of my death i will be like oh um so that's the biggest one from psychedelics i don't count edible marijuana as a psychedelic but my worst trips my hardest trips come from way too much of an edible and the ideas that come from that, that I, I just can't shake, that a part of me, I, and I, I don't know if it's my truth or if it's a fear thing, plain as truth, but on psychedelics, I consistently come up against the idea of you are an illusion. Everything in your life is an illusion. Mm -hmm. And you're either in a coma and you're making all this up or you're in a simulation. And this is just simply not real. But both of those feel like my mind creating a story to justify the fact that I feel disoriented from how high I am. And my mind automatically generates the most intense story to justify why I feel the amount of fear that I feel. Yeah. Because ultimately, my, um, my metaphysical question is always, if so, then what? And if either of those are real and I can't do anything, so I'm just going to live my life. I'm going to be in truth. I'm going to try to love people. I'm going to try to be of service to the world. I'm going to try to help. And I'm going to have orgasms and eat good food. Mm -hmm. Yeah, beautiful, mate. The questioning process 
is is the participation in the transformative cycle it is our the, the inquiry it's that revolution between stepping into novelty and the integration of it attachment and detachment it's like simulation or not i mean it is a simulation but we participate in the simulation the reality is the process of transformation and it's there's that's 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 light as anything and deep as all hell at the same time that first comment you made about the apprehension only possible on death mm. it's interesting right because death is often used metaphorically it's like death and rebirth fucking Fine. death and rebirth this I don't know, i'm talking about myself here death and rebirth that and it's like yeah death of some sort of narrative particular map of coherence particular framework of fixation and then the the re-imagination the, the recapturing of another frame that rebirth again and but there's that there's that there's something about that the like like the real deal like the the physical death too i mean i it's like mm, how much i mean let's talk about psychedelics and spiritual practice and philosophy even being a preparation for death and it seems to me it is it seems to me that but you can only say maybe, and it's only a seeming that we touch death in transformation. But at that point, it is a, it's not something that can be referred to as a, as a death. It's not, it's not, it's not something which permits any referential points. It's a being with, it's an immersion with, it's, you know, whether emptiness, whether void, whether Christ consciousness, you know, whether, whatever, whatever the language, whatever the language, it's a well, acceptance, surrender, what, it's not, it's not, it's not capturable in any reference. And there's a sense of, a, maybe there's a way to cultivate a moving into that space where that kind of that sort of that expression you did with the kind of like the the mouth opening into the awe is is a release of the need to grasp a release of the need to fix finally and it's just on that occasion we don't find <laughs> we ain't coming back from it and at that point yeah. we are just referring to some sort of you know like what sort of image the soul leaving the world but it's like we we only have psychological images to make sense of it and we don't get outside of it and in this sense we are just the we are a fragmentary source of divinity but we are not the god outside of things we are not outside of we are very much a part of and engaging in these processes of transformation and but 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 to say all this as well it's like i, I do my best to, to to check in and and be honest but but even this of course is just language of course is just expression I had fucking shingles. I've got still, I'm coming off the end of having shingles, which is like an adult version of chicken pox. And I had them around the back of my back through my thigh, like right up alongside my balls, 
which is particularly interesting because it seemed like to stimulate the exact nerve that is stimulated when you get kicked in the balls. So for literally yeah. like 72 hours, I was getting kicked in the balls every like 30 seconds. And when you're doing that, it's like, you just sort of accept it. It's like, oh, fuck. fuck. <laughs> you're kind of like, all right, this is the reality now. I just, I'll accept it. And now I'm in this other place. I don't know where I'm going with that exactly, but it's like, I don't know, like, what do we have the power? Like, what what is, people can hold so much. We are so capable of 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 acceptance like a radical acceptance of the conditions of life yet still somehow the trajectory towards love the trajectory towards acceptance and being available as you are and an acceptance of the quality of the potential of the beauty of things remains and this is such a remarkable it's the kind of thing that you know it's um it's 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 tear jerking it's so incredible that that people have the capacity to do these things and we we and we all have we all have mountains to climb and then we all deal with the precipice and then sometimes we're floating down the river and that's maybe <laughs> that's maybe the best part of it <laughs> but man sometimes it's not so much of a float sometimes it's like fuck me i just got swooped on by an eagle as i smashed into a log balls first but Amen. Yeah, yeah man. <laughs> um, Eric, thank you for uh, doing this and staying patient with me. We took maybe three to four months to <laughs> get here having this with each other. Worth it. Absolutely worth it. And the thing is, it would have been it would have been a little bit different every time. My life has taken so many shifts, and bits of development and some some really challenging dark moments and then also the rebirths from them and I feel like I feel like this this came exactly as it should is there anything is there anything you'd like to express as we sort of move towards closing here just my gratitude for you having me on and holding the space the way that you have. I can tell that you were incredibly present for this and I appreciate it. Mm. That's mm. it. Beautiful, man. I appreciate you too. So your um, latest podcast is The Myths That Make Us. Yes, sir. Yeah, which I'll have a link to everywhere this appears. I thoroughly recommend checking that out. It's an investigation into it's an extrapolation of your guest's story and the narratives that comprise their lives uh, most meaningfully um which is a beautiful which is a beautiful idea for a podcast thank you brother all right well perhaps then i'll i'll stop the recording now and maybe just stick around with me for a couple minutes and um there we go well beautiful eric godsey thank you